You are listening to Quelly TV Podcast, dedicated to the issue, stories, and culture of the global Black community. Our culture curated. I'm really excited to be talking with Samantha. She has two films on Quilly TV. I'm really excited that she's here to talk about her films, to talk about her, I call it dark comedy in a way, and, and some of the messages in her film. So thanks so much, Samantha, for talking with me today. I am so happy to talk with you. I really love Quilly TV. I love what you guys are about. And I love having access to content that I just cannot get even here at home in South Africa. So, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So talk a little bit about, so you have two films, Stiff and the Beast, and they're both comedies, but they're very different. Um, We'll talk about the Beast first, since that's the first one that we acquired. It's a very interesting film. It's a story that I'll let you tell the story, but it's something that I would assume what happened in some parts of Africa when there are tourists, but it really tells in a very funny way. If you can talk about the premise of, of the Beast. Sure, the Beast is set in a little cultural village in KZN, mm-hmm. um, which is a real location. We found that place, it's real. And it basically follows the story of Shaka, or the guy who is, plays Shaka in the, in the show. And uh, it's sort of this backstage version of his show where he's constantly talking with his colleagues about how he doesn't really want to play Shaka, he actually really wants to do Shakespeare. And uh, we kind of allow that to be the frame for them to have this conversation around like culture and sort of like the value of performance. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, it's just like all of these pressures building up on him over the course of this day. And when you came up with the concept for this film, like what was your inspiration for that? It was genuinely finding that location. So Mm -hmm. we made this film as part of a a sort of lab program, which was about making four films in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And it was made, I was a co-writer and co-director on the project with a Brazilian filmmaker. And so we also had been, uh, the program kind of arranged marries these pairs of people who've never met each other before Mm -hmm. uh, and says, go and make a film. So that we didn't have a lot to start with, except both of us, fortunately, were like, we want to make a comedy. Um, and then just in traveling around that area, we discovered that location. And yeah, I mean, it was kind of like equal parts, like fascination and horror, sort of. Right. Um, because it's, you know, part of it is like, it's this time capsule of like, not necessarily Zulu culture, but the way it's a time capsule of how Zulu culture was perceived by sort of like settler colonialism. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was fascinating, especially in the context of like the fact that it's still being performed today. It's still, it's still the way that a lot of tourists and we were there for a while, tourists just come in and that's their engagement with sort of like the continent at uh, sometimes right which is really fascinating i mean people are taking selfies like it's (laughs) yeah it's it's to me it's super it's super hilarious the fact that you know people people do come from other parts of the world to get that quote-unquote view of africa which is like the time capsule but for them they want the Mm -hmm. selfies to say this is what africa looks like in their viewpoint right exactly and it's like it's less about finding out what's going on now and more about confirming their own sort of preconceived idea. Mm -hmm. And so with the film, we were really interested in like saying like, okay, so we know that 
people have a preconceived notion of what this thing is and how can we use the comedy and the story to undermine that preconception right Uh, yeah and it's it's such a brilliant way in doing that and so you say you found this location and so the actors who are part of, of this space i mean you basically use those those same actors correct Essentially, I mean, so our three main actors are actually um, spoken word poets from Durban, from the area, because we we really wanted people, we knew that we were going to be playing with language. Uh, we knew we wanted to do something with Shakespeare. So we wanted uh, to kind of workshop with the three main actors, uh, the translation of the script. So that it wasn't just, you know, I, I don't speak Zulu, my, my co-director d- doesn't speak Zulu, but we just, we didn't want something that was like a direct flat translation. We wanted something that was a reinterpretation of what we had sort of like set out to do, but in the language. Um, but other than that, all of the other performers are the performers from that that sort of village. And I, I remember sort of like, it was like layers of sort of alienness because like uh, we were, we as the sort of like, these sort of white filmmakers coming in were deeply, deeply far into them. Right. And I remember sort of like we worked with our three main actors. They worked directly with the sort of like the performers at the village. And they sort of said to us the one day, they were like, we're just as far into them as you are. It's like this sort of like lifestyle of the ruralness of the way that they live was so different to sort of anything that we'd encountered. But then it was so interesting to just sort of like engage with them and their relationship to that cultural village. I mean, they had a lot of anger about that place, which was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. As a filmmaker, too, as you mentioned, you know, being sort of foreign to to the community. One of the things about Clay TV, we're all about, you know, telling these authentic stories. And 85% of our filmmakers are of African descent. You know, we do welcome all filmmakers if the story comes off authentically. Talk about making sure that when you do tell your story, especially when you tell stories from a Black perspective, means how do you go about making sure that the stories are authentic and keeping it um, real for the community as someone who is not part of the culture? I'll start by saying I don't get it right, like all the time, and I'm constantly in a process of learning. Mm-hmm. And the Beast was the beginning of a big process of learning for me. And yeah, the way that we approached it in that particular instance, and which, which is a process I'm taking forward into other films, is I sort of try and move back from this idea of authorship, which doesn't mean it's not to say like I don't take responsibility for the film, but it's like, if you're making a film about a community of which you are not part, then you can't sort of run around going like, but I'm the storyteller. You know, you have to cede parts of your control to the people who know more than you and you have to trust and it has to be it's not like a one-way street so with our performers both the performers who came from the cultural village and our poets it was always about not how like them saying our lines the way that we wanted them to it was about does this feel right to you we can change it and a conversation so that it was always a two-way street i think that's awesome and it makes the story authentic you know for people who are part of the culture and people like me who I'm far removed from it as well. I mean, I'm a black woman, but I'm an African-American woman. I live in America, you know, I have still a very different experience, but it still felt like it was an authentic story. And so I really appreciate that about, about the aspect of the film. I do think like, I, I think this sort of idea of authorship that's kind of put down on directors and creators in specific places. I think it's like a two, it's a two-edged sword, you know, it's like you want creative control because you like have a specific idea, but 
film is not a painting it's a collaborative experience so if you're not willing to collaborate then i don't know what you're doing there you know right right i totally agree and then there's stiff which is a totally different <laughs> film from the beast talk about the premise of that film okay so stiff is a story of a socially awkward undertaker in soweto who uh, has his uh, niece thrust upon him as like an intern and basically very early on in the film his niece manages to sign uh, and accept a body bag which she thinks contains the body of a famous black politician but actually contains the body of an elderly jewish white man so they end up having to like go and try and body swap these these sort of uh, two figures back and um yeah they sort of grow closer over the course of that film talk about the thought process of coming up with this storyline oh uh this was actually i wrote this film when i was at film school and i think i was thinking about i was watching a lot of woody allen at the time which i know is not necessarily the right thing to be saying these days uh, but i was sort of like focusing in on the idea of this sort of like nervousness and like <laughs> this sort of anxiety and i was realizing that it was not a thing i had seen on screen for black characters ever right i was like i was like oh we don't we don't talk about like social awkwardness and nervousness like for black people they only fit into like this this and this box and i was sort of like intrigued in like how that would play out in the context of soweto mm-hmm. yeah it's really interesting film and of course funny at the same time which is crazy to say because he's an undertaker i mean we're talking about someone who buries people for a living and there's still you know comical elements in that film do you see yourself as a comedic type of director is that the direction you see yourself going in Definitely. in the future definitely i think uh you know yeah for me like the only way i like deal with life is through laughter so i i tried to write drama a couple of times it really didn't go well so i try and stick with what i'm good at mm-hmm. i hope uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah I, it's also i think laughter in both of those films laughter disarms the audience and it collapses the sort of distance between the people in the theater and the people who are on the screen because you immediately connect with someone when you laugh right um and so for me it's a very important tool especially in telling stories about like places or people that we're not seeing that much in balancing the the comic release within the film especially the subject matter if you can talk about as a filmmaker you know what how do you how do you go about doing that to to make that balance in those types of films especially with the subject matter so yeah. that technically isn't funny it sort of is but isn't at the same time well i think it's always like uh, i always like things that are polar opposites so like that's that's part of why you've got like oh i'm going to tell a story about an awkward man who's also an undertaker which is a job where you are not supposed to be awkward right uh, but it's it's never to I think the trick is always to remember that people are people and they're not clowns. And so it's very important that you kind of like allow the humor to come from a place of like of that person's real awkwardness and not like just kind of go from joke to joke to joke because then people become clowns and you lose the emotional aspect of it. And and I think that puts the joke the kind of laughter is in the wrong place, which means mm-hmm. that you can't deal with the subject matter that you want to deal with because I, I I always want to deal with things that are real and that have meaning and that have weight but then I want to deal with them in a way that allows the audience in which is the laughter 
in casting for this, the main character and the niece, they did such a great job in the acting in this short. How did you find them? I've actually seen him in a couple other projects he, where he's actually another one of our short films as well. So how did you go about casting those two? He was easier to find because um, I knew him, not personally, but I knew I knew his face and I knew because um, I'd seen his work a lot. He's, he works a lot here, Jerry. And so for that, I just sort of reached out to his agent and I sort of had to do a lot of talking to get that meeting. <laughs> Uh, but for her, that was that was more interesting because I knew I wanted someone that we hadn't seen. And um, so it was literally the casting process was like me putting out a call uh, to like various acting schools, to some of the agents. And and yeah, I remember I remember like it, we did a lot of improv in the in the audition and she was great in the audition, but I wasn't like blown away by her. And then I went back to watch the tape of the audition and I remember suddenly realizing what I hadn't seen in the audition, which is that when you look at her on the camera, she's always doing more than one thing. So like she's saying one thing, but behind the eyes, she can do something else. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was so impressed by that, that I was just like, yes. She's the one. <laughs> yeah. How long did it take you to film that, um, that short? As well as The Beast as well. I'm really curious. I think but, um, the stiff was four days and the beast we had five days we were very lucky with the beast okay wow i mean not not a lot of time talk <laughs> about that too because i think a lot of times when people especially you know filmmakers they're, they're looking to start out they don't have a lot of resources and so shooting for a long period of time can be very costly how are we able to really minimize that budget and keep things tight to produce the project well um i was very very lucky uh with the beast it was part of a lab so we had resources so we had financing from the kzn film commission in the region that we were shooting we had um money from our national film fund and all of that was because basically what happened is that uh, it was part of this program that was definitely going to play at the director's fortnight at can so it was we managed to get all of that financing based on the fact that it was definitely going to play at Cannes. But Stiff was a very different story. Stiff was more um, about, we had some financing from Focus Features. They had a program for a couple of years where they were doing films in and around Africa. And then the rest was big, borrow and steal. I mean, we <laughs> we sort of just like, I managed to make it work with a friend of mine shot it. He had a camera, um, you know, we had a little bit of money for equipment and for our secondary crew, but it was really colleagues. And yeah, we just, we just negotiated everything as well as we could. <laughs> I can only imagine. And that's something I think a lot of filmmakers, independent filmmakers go through, just trying to find any way that they can to fund the film. Mm. What advice would you give to filmmakers who have ideals, but they feel like they don't have the, the resources to really make it a reality? I think the number one thing that I always say to people is there are so many more programs for financing than you think there are. And you need to like be on the internet looking for those things applying, applying, getting rejected a hundred times, but still applying um, because, yeah, I think a lot of people feel like if they get rejected once or, or this or the next thing, then they just want to stop. Mm -hmm. And I think it's only in reapplying that you actually end up getting stuff. And then the second one is to say, you know, I think it's also about your, you can write to the scale that you can afford to make something and it can still be good and it can still be brilliant and it can still be sharp. But it's like to know 
that if you're going to make this short film, yes, you want to maybe be making the $300 million picture, but you definitely can't do that with your short film. So what is the thing that you can do incredibly well with the resources that are available to you? That's a really good point. Both of them are really great points. As an entrepreneur, I've gotten so many rejections and people get rejections all the time. I think sometimes people assume, oh, I've gotten five rejections or 10 rejections. That means X. That means I'm not supposed to do this or that means that maybe I should try something else. But I think if you put yourself out there, rejection is pretty much a part of life. Yeah. And it's also, it's rejection is not a rejection. A rejection is an opportunity for you to make progress on a project. Right. It's a deadline. You know what I mean? Like, whether you get in or not, you did the work on the project. And that's really good. Right. And also really making sure, as you mentioned, to do a project within your budget. We do meet people who want to do these really fancy sci-fi films where they have five grand. Like, well, how are you going to make the, the lasers, the, the, eye, you know, the eyes coming out, right? I mean, it's going to come out really awkward if you don't have the funds to execute that properly so i think it's a really good point as well with mm -hmm. really starting off with something that you can truly afford versus yeah. going for gold um the first the first bet out <laughs> without the money well exactly and and it's also like that's not to say people shouldn't do sci-fi projects like i love sci-fi right but it's also like you know it's also to go and look at the kind of sci-fi that is more like a that is more achievable where it's like minimal kind of like props and sets and stuff like you can achieve so much in a science fiction genre without having all of that flash right right because sometimes science fiction can be a mental thing it doesn't necessarily have to be with all these different things falling and booms and you know i think people can really yeah. think imaginatively and how they can make it work and as a woman filmmaker have you experienced any challenges with getting funding or putting yourself out there i know as i talk to a lot of filmmakers especially those who are of color they talk about those challenges but we know as women there's also mm -hmm. another layer layer challenge as well i've been very very lucky mm -hmm. Um, because I came back from film school at a time when our national fund in particular had a big interest in women. So I've, I've been very lucky to kind of catch that wave in a way. And I feel like my being a woman has actually helped me at the time I came back. But that being said, that's very different from being on set <laughs> where, you know, when I was co-directing with my uh, with my colleague on The Beast, um, I, you know, there were things like I would ask a question and they would deliver the answer to him. Wow. <laughs> and it's and it was not it was never malicious. It's never. But you, you get a sense of how ingrained this sort of way of being is is in people. Um, and so I had to really navigate how to deal with sort of asking and demanding for the respect that I was due on that set, um, but without, you know, sort of like making people feel attacked mm -hmm. because like I knew no one was doing any of that stuff maliciously. No one was even doing it consciously. It was just the way that people behave. Right, right. It's true. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, that's the woman. So she may be not the main director, but maybe just another person that but the man, he's the one who is the, the main person. I think people assume that men are women. You know, I've, I've, I've dealt with that as well, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, again, like I was I was lucky because I was in a space where I, I had the title. I was the director, um, but but I like I know from talking to colleagues how much harder it is when you're in a space that you're you're not you're like a below the line crew member, right? And you get treated. It's very hard to demand respect. 
Well, you've done such a great job with these two films and people can watch them on Quilly TV. They're short. They're both under 20 minutes long. So it's an easy thing to watch on the subway or on your way somewhere else. As long as you're not driving, we don't want people watching while they're, while they're driving. But as long as you're in a, in a stable place where you're not, um, you're like sitting down or something. But before we go, I do want to ask you because I usually ask filmmakers like a lightning question and the question is around being authentic but according to be meaning truth in Swahili how do you stay authentic when you do your storytelling so I think you know I have to always tell stories that are from me and so yeah I can add these abstractions of like a funeral home or uh, this cultural village but this sort of sense of awkwardness the sense of pain the sense of sort of violence that is ultimately universal um and so it's about how do i arrange this sort of like experience in a way that it's both authentic and strange to the viewer awesome thank you so much it's been a, a really great conversation i'm so happy that you're on clay tv and that you're able to bring some comic relief to the platform in a really great way authentic way so thanks so much for for doing this and doing this interview it's been a really great conversation oh, thank you so much it's always great to speak to you and like i say i, I really appreciate what's happening at clearly i think it's so cool thank you thank you so much check her out on clay tv Stiff and the Beast. Thanks so much, Samantha. Thank you. Bye. Bye.